I know that, that was that was like a brain typo. Good day and welcome to Wheat Beats Word here on RealAgriculture.com for Wednesday, July the 18th on this episode of The Word. Insane weather! Wow! Then crop updates and a whole bunch of very, very cool stuff on the wheat crop after that. Let's get this right! Corn, fungicide, insecticides, lots of stuff going on that just does not make sense after that. A quick question on soybeans, a bunch of questions about fertility. Hope to finish up at the end with a bunch on drying that wheat crop. Let's go! First off, yes! Wild weather again this week. Monday, thunderstorms coming through. Johnson, just at Lucan, 20-minute drive north of London. A whopping two millimeters of rain. I don't know how my farm missed it. Lots of people around me at least got half an inch, but I don't know. Maybe I'm not living right, but two millimeters. Meanwhile, we take a 15-minute drive towards London, go south of Thorndale. It's not two millimeters. It's five inches. That's 125 millimeters of rain. They had lakes in fields. Just the, There is no equity in this weather system this year. If you got rainfall, count yourself lucky. That's awesome. Lots of people did not. But fortunately for some people, it looks like the drought maybe has broken and hopefully more rain coming this weekend. And cooler temperatures. That's a big help as well. High temperatures, dry conditions. It's a real double whammy. And on Monday, oh gosh, what a tough Monday I had. We're, Jeremy, my son and I, we're at wheat. We're, we're trying to do the variety plots in my wheat field. The rain looks like it's coming. Never really did materialize, but it looks like it's coming. We're going like crazy. And there's a little pin that kind of half broke and all of a sudden there was a bunch of wheat went out the back of the combine the yield loss monitor didn't catch it for me i'm going to have some green strips in my wheat field where we did that variety plot we lost the variety plot data drives me nuts because of that and a whole bunch of my neighbors are going to drive past and say that's a wheat guy really that's a wheat guy my gosh anyway life but then i come home and i see this tweet from barb and i just love these kind of stories Barb saying her one and a half year old. She comes home and he's sitting there and he's saying combine, combine straw, combine, combine straw. And he's watching one of the wheat peat videos. It just perked me right up. That awesome, Barb. I really love that kind of stuff. Keep those young farmers coming. And while we're on plots... Keep sending in the plot results. Where are they all? I'm not getting nearly enough, but some really cool stuff. So from Perry, he tried this two fusarium fungicides this year. Sprayed Corumba first, and then seven days later, give or take, sprayed a Prosero XTR. So out of that, the versus just one application, six bushels per acre. So that's really intriguing to me. Super dry year. Perry is super dry. In fact, he's got some corn that is almost dead on his sand knolls, and yet he still got six bushels per acre to that two fusarium fungicides. This this health through grain fill really is starting to intrigue me. Meanwhile, Greg, down in the Norfolk sand plains, a 15 bushel per acre advantage to using starter phosphorus in his system versus no starter for phosphorus we're used to seeing some yield but 15 bushels that's huge and ron ron had the cover crop wheat remember he seeded wheat as a cover crop 40 pounds per acre and this spring it just looked so good and other things happened it was a bit tough to get things planted he asked should he leave it 
I said, sure, go for it. Give it a try. 78.6 bushels per acre from 40 pounds of seed. Wow, that's pretty good. That's much better than, than you might always expect, but cool stuff. Keep those plot results coming. Okay, and just before I move on, wow, I, I, I really like this. So from Ray and several other people, by the way, also sent this in. Last update, I was talking about spider mite control. I said with spider mites in soybeans, you must use Saigon or Lagon. And then I went on to say, but don't use dimethoate because they don't kill spider mites and you just kill all the beneficials. And many people, I'm so glad that people are thinking and listening and, and firing back. Many people said, hey, wait a minute, Peter. Like, gosh, Saigon and Lagon, aren't they dimethoate? Isn't dimethoate the active ingredient there? And you are 1000% right. Brownie points, absolutely. But Ray was so kind. He says, hey, Peter, I know that, that was that was like a brain typo. I know you meant to say matador. Don't spray spider mites with matador called warrior in the US and there's generic products out there as well. But that's right. So dimethoate, Saigon or Lagon, that's what kills spider mites. Matador or warrior, those products, they don't kill spider mites. They do kill beneficials and keep scouting for those spider mites and soybean aphids. More and more reports where they are over threshold. You need to control them, particularly with this dry weather. That's when they do the most damage. Also from last week's update, I talked about things being tough in Renfrew County. Tim tweets me some pictures of his beans in Renfrew County and he says, hey, Peter, come on. Not all the beans in Renfrew County are tough. Fair enough, Tim. That's one of the problems with generalized I can say in general terms that, you know, wheat quality is good. And then I read a report where there is a couple of samples that came in with fusarium damaged kernels. Or I can say most of the province is dry. There's always exceptions to that rule. And that's that's just one of the challenges of doing the word. So what else have we learned over the last week from Twitter and from emails and texts from the Picton Crow? So the Picton Crow is from Prince Edward County here in Ontario. And he loves to jab at me, particularly about baby Ailing straw in Prince Edward County. Apparently, on Lloyd's farm, the wheat is so good. It is so good that he needs a 200 horsepower tractor on the baler just to bale that straw. Wow, that was one massive windrow of straw from a 40 foot header, mind you, but still a massive windrow of straw. No, no wonder you need 200 horsepower. And by the way, I get lots of questions come in about what is the value of straw. And there's a little bit of a Twitter discussion about that and such an incredible range. Anywhere from three cents all the way up to some people saying as high as 10 cents a pound for straw in the windrow. That can't be. Come on. Wheat at $6 a bushel, which is where it's at today. The grain is only worth 10 cents a pound. You're telling me the straw is worth as much as the grain as well. Don't forget that we can haul it in from Western Canada and land it in your yard, I think, for 12 cents a pound. So, wow, if you can get 10 cents a pound, they still got to bale it and move it. That's incredible. Nonetheless, Eastern Ontario typically talking six to eight cents a pound in in the windrow get into southwestern ontario most not all but most of southwestern ontario more in that three to four cent a pound range just a difference i guess in terms of supply and demand jean marc down in essex county sends me a bunch of tweets saying hey peter where was my best wheat was it the early planted wheat was it the certified seed was it where i put on the sulfur was it my best fertility field and the answer to all those questions are no 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 and no my best wheat was 
was my last planted wheat on one of my poorest farms. Well, Sean Mark, you always did go against the flow. There's no question. Things can happen with the weather. In general terms, though, again this year, we are seeing that the early planted wheat is is far out yielding the late planted wheat. It's That's not unusual. That's normally the way it goes. Jean Marc, you're just a little bit different. Neil and Sharon both asking about green kernels and wheat. And what do you do about green kernels in that wheat sample when you're harvesting? There's two options. One, you can wait and harvest a little bit later. I really hate that option because if you can put it through and it's it's in decent shape, it's you know reasonable moisture in the sample, but you're getting these green ker- kernels, unless they're going to downgrade you at the elevator, then you combine it to get it out of the field because if you leave it in the field and you get the five inch rainstorm like they did at Thorndale, then nothing good happens to that wheat crop. So I really like to harvest and put it in the bin. And if you can bin it, those green kernels will disappear just like they will if you wait and leave it in the field. Not much else you can do about those green kernels. Last, Nick, you're noticing some real black point in specific varieties. Absolutely. Black Point is variety specific. We've seen that before. It's a secondary. It's not a yield factor, but it can be a quality factor because the Black Point, that smudge on the end of the kernel, can actually end up discoloring the flower if it's severe enough. And so that's why it's a grading factor. It's not a yield issue, but it is a grading factor. Okay, I want to move on to corn. And first, Perry sending me a picture of incredibly tough corn on sand. In fact, it's three leaves away from from tasseling in the same field, planted the same day on the same run in the good dirt, high organic matter areas of the field. The corn's coming out in tassel and looks gorgeous. On the sand knolls, it's only about the top two leaves that are green. And so Perry has two questions. Do I buy heifer pack manure to put on that sand knoll? I have manure of my own. I've been targeting it there. Uh, do I keep doing that to try to improve that area? And do I spray fungicide or not on that cornfield? So first, absolutely, Perry, that tough sand, that droughty sand, the only way to improve it is with organic matter. But as we discussed over email, you power the manure there to build the organic matter. What happens? You're still removing very little in terms of nutrients. Your nutrient levels go through the roof and then that becomes an environmental problem. So we don't have all those solutions yet. You almost wonder if we shouldn't get leaves out of town or or paper mill waste or something that has low nutrient value but high organic matter value. That brings its own challenges but There is no easy answer from that perspective. And the fungicide on corn, well, if the corn is that far gone, then turn the sprayer off as you go over those sand areas. There's just no way, unless the weather changes dramatically, that you're ever going to see any benefit out of that fungicide. But while we're on fungicide on corn, all right, first off, it is too early in most fields for western bean cutworm. So western bean cutworm, they have to go for the fresh silk. We are going to time any insect spray that we use for fresh silk, nice green silks on the plant. There is just a bunch of people who are going out there pre-tassel corn, putting on a foliar fungicide on their corn crop, and they're throwing in the western bean insecticide just, just as a matter of course. That is wrong, wrong, wrong. The timing is all off. So don't do that. If you have great corn and you want to put on a leaf disease fungicide at shoulder high before it's tassels, that's fine. Although it's pretty dry in most areas, you'd wonder if you need that. But it's too early for the western bean cutworm insecticide. We need to time that insecticide with fresh silk. That is also the perfect timing for a fusarium fungicide. If you're worried about western 
being cutworm, then you should be worried also about Fusarium or Gibberella in the corn crop. And so why wouldn't you time it when you get maximum efficacy from both of those products? So then we look at what's going on with Western bean cutworm. Well, moth catches are incredibly low. Does that mean you don't have pressure that the moths that are out there aren't laying eggs? No, 100% not. You still have to scout. But from an early tasseling field perspective, gosh, very low moth catches. So that probably means that the chances of getting benefit to that western bean cutworm insecticide are reduced at the very least. So maybe these early gorgeous fields that are out there, we don't need to spray this year, where other years we absolutely would have. Where I get the most worried is actually in these variable fields. So we have a whole bunch of fields where there's some tassel there now, maybe 10% of the field, there's more, but they could tassel, particularly where it's dry and the corn crop is slowing down that process, hoping to get rainfall. We could see those silks stay green for a long period and extremely variable in terms of, of when those tassels emerge. Those are the tough fields to try to time, particularly Particularly if western bean cutworm numbers do start to ramp up. In any case, here's the bottom line. You want to spray for western bean cutworm, you have to spray at green silk. You need green silk there, so time the majority of the field. Scout, don't forget the threshold is 5%. That's five spots in the field. Count 20 plants. See if you can find egg masses. If you find five egg masses in that 100 plants total, you need to control. There's no doubt about that. Time the spray with fresh silk. After the bulk of the crop does silk and, and you make that call, you still almost have to scout for some of those late plants. I do worry about that, but don't forget, if you're going to spray for for western bean cutworm then there's a reasonable chance you're, you're worried about gibberellas fusarium in the corn crop and then you might as well throw that fungicide in there as well to give you that protection and there's very few not all fungicides control fusarium so we have proline we have corumba or we have headline amp where we add some corumba to the headline amp to get the corumba rate at the level that controls fusarium those are the options but let's get this one right there's just no point in spraying for western bean cutworm if you don't time it right, and the same applies for Fusarium or Gibberella in that corn crop. Okay, enough on that. Quickly, Paul, you asked about soybeans aborting flowers under hot, dry weather if we had any data. There's no data that I'm aware of. If anybody has data on that, then please get it to us. We'll talk about it, but we know that you're going to abort more flowers, but does it, it doesn't make necessarily that big a deal. We've seen that before. If we can get rain by R3 and through that pod fill process, even with less pods, we'll make more beans per pod. So we generally get away with more flower abortion than, than we would like. Kevin, you asked about manzinfos. Spraying that on your soybean crop, it's super dry instead of manganese sulfate. Man, if you have a manganese deficiency, then manganese sulfate gives you two pounds of manganese. You're actually trying to address the deficiency. In manzinfos, it's, I believe, 0.06% manganese. And there's a bunch of other stuff in there. There, but if it's manganese that you're short of, then that product's not going to do what you want it to do. So I really think Manzinfoss is more of a shotgun blast. If you're just trying to help the soybeans with a shotgun blast, that's fine. But if you have a manganese deficiency, then use a product that supplies manganese. Don't seed the cover crop down the cracks. Gosh, how deep are the cracks? And you might get seed that's four inches deep and other seeds that's a half an inch deep. No, to the caller who asked that question, you gotta seed it right, put it in the ground right 
just trying to put it down the cracks. You might get away with it, but you're going to waste a lot of seed. Last, Gerard, you asked about drying your wheat crop. Should you do it at day or night? It's all about relative humidity. If you're under 70% relative humidity, you will pull moisture out of the crop. And so if you think about it, as that air mass comes through, yes, nighttime temperatures are cooler than daytime temperatures, but relative humidity actually goes up at night. So if I turn my dryer on at night and I have to take it from 10 Celsius to 25 Celsius, and all that does is get me back to where at 25 degrees Celsius, my relative humidity was was the same as in the daytime, then I've actually wasted that propane for that first 15 degree temperature rise. So realistically, on the grand scheme of things, it doesn't much matter if you're boosting that temperature, you do that to drop the relative humidity. Are there differences? Yes, it will absolutely depend on the starting point, but day or nighttime drying doesn't make a lot of difference. For those people, air drying wheat, 70% relative humidity. If you're under 70% relative humidity, you turn the fans on. If you're not, you turn the fans off. Look at that, way over time. That's it, that's all. On behalf of the team here at realagriculture.com, this is Wheat Pete with the word for Wednesday, July the 18th. Send me lots of questions. I'll have lots to talk about again next week, and we'll be back and talk to you then. Bye now.